Children's Church, you can be dismissed at this time. As they are beginning to make their way out, uh, again, want to remind everyone this week's a big week here for local missions. Um, we're thankful for the foreign missions trip that took place a couple of weeks ago, and, and now we're excited about the opportunity we have to do local missions. And so please continue to pray for this week, and we're excited about what God's got in store, what he's going to do, and, and very grateful for the team he's brought to us to help in carrying out the Great Commission. So with that said, I want to introduce our, our morning speaker uh, from High Point, uh, Oakview Baptist. You guys may recall, uh, you may have saw his fancy moves out on the football field during our flag football annual Winter Bowl Classic. He was our guest speaker then uh, for our Super Bowl outreach and super excited to have him back with us. So uh, this morning, Cameron Brooks, if you would please come share the word of God with us. Let me go ahead and clarify that fancy moves on the football field, meaning getting embarrassed <laughs> on the football field. But it's good to be with you today. If you go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. So like he said, we are from High Point, North Carolina. Uh, we are from Oakview Baptist. Uh, and so um, you, I know, have been familiar with Jeremy and Crystal, who are as part of our church as well. The group you'll see with us this week are our college and career students uh, from our church, uh, and what we want you to know from, from us just from the outset is that we love Jesus, and we want to assist you and come with you in reaching the community of LaGrange. So our goal this week is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim him in the way that we serve in this community, in the way that the camps uh, go about, that all avenues of this week would go to glorify uh, his name. And so we've been praying for that uh, for the last several weeks and months uh, leading up to uh, this week. And so, uh, Lord willing, we are excited uh, for what is going to be transpiring uh, this week. So in the, with that being said, you notice I said Ephesians 1. This week we will be going through the whole book of Ephesians uh, throughout uh, each camp. All right. So today begins Ephesians 1, and then each consecutive day is the next chapter leading up to the last day, which would be chapter 6. We've sang this morning, we've worshipped, and as joyous as that is, I do want to make us mindful of the fact of what we are singing. Uh, and so if you think back to all the lyrics that you have sang, all really, as I was just kind of walking through Ephesians 1 in my head, uh, really all echoed what we're going to read this morning. Uh, this task before us is one in which we're going to try to get through uh, the whole entire chapter of Ephesians 1. All right, so at some, some ways, I might try to go a little faster, um, and to, that way we have enough time uh, to get through, all right? So I'm going to pray, for, I mean, excuse me, I'm going to read chapter 1 for us, and I'm going to pray, and we will jump right in. So let's read Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will 
to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you today. As your mercies have already been new this morning, we are thankful. You have given us life. You have given us the ability to come, to worship freely. And so, God, we thank you for that. You have already lavished upon us your blessing. And so, God, may, in light of that, may we respond in worship. May your Spirit speak and reveal to us what you would have for us, God. And so, Lord, no matter whether we're from High Point or LaGrange or Jamaica, Lord, you are the God, the one true God. You are Lord of all. And we can gather as brothers and sisters to proclaim that and then be sent out to share your good news. And so, Lord, may this time be one that is fruitful and one that we directly apply to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've joked with a few of our team today. All right, so uh, I just graduated from seminary uh, in May from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, so the running joke for this passage would be that I probably would say that a good title might be, How Many Points Are You?, because it references predestination and election and chosen. Um, but actually, to avoid anything of that nature, we, the title is For This Reason. If you notice in verse 15, 
it starts off with, for this reason. Now, we're going to dive into this as uh, the passage unfolds, but there's a reason why, pun, pun upon the words, is that we are looking at this specific uh, three words here. The main idea for us today is that Jesus fulfills the purposes of God. So this idea that there has been a will that has existed before the foundation of the world. And that will and that plan is fulfilled through Jesus, and so that in Him we have redemption. In Him we have hope. In Him there is salvation. And so just a little context. So this is a letter from Paul. He's in prison. It's probably around AD 60. All right, if you look at the very first verse, we've, we've been looking at this as a group, and I, I want to make mention of this. So these first two verses do not gloss over. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He says, apostle, which is one cent. He says this in recognition not only the privilege that he has, but also, as one commentator would say, the divine compulsion that is the calling upon his life. One in which he recognized that he can leverage his life for the kingdom. Now notice, I said he is in prison. We know that that context is there. So therefore, the question for us is, how are we, when we think about this, leveraging our daily lives for the kingdom? Here's a man who is in prison and is still writing letters, still writing one in which we're going to see to faithful saints in Ephesus, in which to not only encourage them, but also help them in their faith, and he's doing that while in prison. He understands that the apostleship, so to speak, is not one in which circumstances uh, dictate or determine when he should share or when he should be sent, so to speak, but that his whole life as a whole is one in which it's sent for the kingdom and for the glory of God. Now, as you uh, may know, okay, so this is a little telling of me, per se. All right, so our generation is one in which uh, there is one thing that I can think, there's pl actually plenty of things, but there's one thing in mind that kind of correlates here uh, that is a lost art, so to speak, and that is writing letters. Okay, so now it's emails, it's text messages, it's posts on all forms of social media, all right, but if you wanted to know one thing about me, I keep every letter that's ever been written to me. So I have a box of all, I, I, it's actually something abnormal for me, I guess, in our generations that I love letters. So I keep all of them. I, read, I go back and kind of read through some of them. It helps me remember some of the memories. It helps me remember some of the things that were going on, how the Lord was faithful and just during those times. Um, but if you think, so like typical letters, right? Uh, you have the beginning, which is basically just a greeting. So typically, uh, you would think of Dear Jeremy, or you could kind of do like some sort of, you know, beginning, right? And then it goes into the body, which is like what you're trying to say. And then at the end, you kind of have like a closing, and then you would have like, you know, in Christ or love or whatever, right? So the interesting thing here is that this is kind of how this is set up for us. Chapter one is kind of like, hey, these first two verses are like, I just want to greet y'all. All right, it's that simple. Then it's the body. It's divided into two parts. The spiritual blessings that are found in Christ, and then basically his prayer and thanksgiving. And then as we unfold the rest of the week, we'll see kind of the rest of that folding and then the conclusion uh, of the letter. Now when we think of that, I do want us to look at the fact that it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So the saint Haggioi, 
which is holy ones, they're set apart for the service of God. So, with this being in mind, the two things we can see here, one, Paul's an apostle by the will of God. So God's will for him is to be an apostle. Therefore, for him, what that means is that to be obedient to that end. The second thing we see here, the saints that are in Ephesus, they are faithful, but notice why they are faithful. It says, in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if I've, I've, got, I've had to study a lot of biblical languages and just kind of working through things. Sometimes we've got to gloss over words, but in is a very key word right here uh, in this verse. In Christ Jesus. So you are faithful. These saints in Ephesus are faithful because of Christ, in Christ. So he, in his fullness, being poured out into them and through them, is allowing them and revealing to them and for them to see the glorious riches of the gospel and who he is in so doing that they can uh, obey and to leverage their lives for the kingdom. So uh, with this in mind, our blessing section here, which is be verses 3 through 14, there are a few things that we want to point out here. So one is that all things that exist, heaven and earth, work in its perfect plans. We can look at verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. All right, so this word for uh, blessed, so blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Uh, These terms of blessing or blessed in the Greek would mean that it's only through God. So that term throughout the entire Bible is only about God. So blessings simply come from God. Now, you got to remind yourself that this is one continual flow. This is not something in which, like, okay, all of a sudden this moment happens here, and then this moment happens here, and then this, and you just kind of like, no, what I want to remind you of on that is that it's not, in, it's not when things are going well that blessings come, and then when things aren't going well that God's kind of removed his blessing. No, this, this, the way this is written is to remind us that blessings come from him and it's, it's continual. It's continual. That's something we can celebrate. Because our God is faithful. They're faithful because he is faithful. And he is faithful to provide. I like what one commentator says. He says, A true appreciation of the things we see is dependent on our enjoyment of the things of the Spirit. I'm going to read that again. The true appreciation of the things we see is dependent on our enjoyment of the things of the Spirit. In a moment, once we conclude uh, with the message, we will sing a song that's entitled, Be Thou My Vision. I think that song perfectly aligns itself to that in the sense of how we see, how we are looking. Our perspective is going to determine the way in which we appreciate and so in so doing, if our vision is the things of Christ, if our vision is the gospel, if our vision is honoring and glorifying and giving of our lives for him, then our perspective of this world, our perspective of our jobs, our perspective of our schools, our perspective of our neighbors would be radically different. In fact, our perspective of God himself would be different. So you think of this, so Jeremy Sams, I know I'm you might be a little disappointed because 
uh, typically, like if he shares, like last time I was here, Jimmy Sam shared, and so he's so wonderful that he can preach and then he can turn here and do an art piece, right? I, don't, I can't do that. I'm not an artist. But I will say one thing that I like to do when somebody, so, so I did this actually right after he got done. We were kind of talking a little bit. Um, is that I like to ask artists questions about their piece, uh, their perspective, why they did things the way they did. And so let's just think, you know, imagine, for example, there's a blank canvas here, right? And let's say that I had some sort of gift and ability to paint just this beautiful masterpiece, right? And every piece of that, like let's say I was doing a landscape and every blade of grass and the tree, everything would come together to make that masterpiece whole. I think you would also get more insight, though, if you ask me, why did I paint that? Why is it done this way? Why are the colors this way? I only bring that up because it's a, it's a simple but yet uh, not adequate illustration of what's transpiring here. There's this unfolding plan. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's basically a masterpiece. And the way to know that and to see it for what it truly is, is to understand through the revelation of God, only through Him. And so as we know that, that is when we can rest and understand what some of these terms are. So if you noticed, right, as I joked earlier, we get to chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, which would be holy and blameless before Him. And in, in love, and then he predestined us for adoption to himself as son, sons through Jesus Christ. So we are chosen to be holy and blameless before him. So the idea here, uh, for those of you who get hung up in the words chosen and predestination and things, the idea here um, is that uh, this is not about salvation, so to speak, in the sense of election does not, is not to salvation, but it's rather to a life of holiness. Okay, so salvation is through the Lord, but I'm just letting you know that because the, the hope that maybe somebody could have is that, well, if I give of my, if it's elect, then like, am I elect? Did I get chosen? Like, did, did, he, did he choose me to go to heaven and choose this person to go to hell? And how did this how happen? And what does this work like? And the point here is to understand that God has has graciously unfolded this plan in which his son was sent as a perfect sacrifice for you and I. And faith only comes through him. Salvation is only through him. But the response of all of that is a life that is marked by holiness. So a striving towards holiness. So that's why he says here, that's why it's linked here that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. So the choosing results in a life that is striving for holiness. So if you imagine this, our design in the beginning was that we were in harmony with God. But sin marred this. We're going to get that in a moment too, but sin marred this. And so therefore, in that, there's a gap. And the bridge, essentially, is Christ, the one who has came, the one who lived perfectly. And so we are not Christ. We are not Christ. 
we cannot arrive and, and allow ourselves to fill that gap or fill that void, so to speak, on our own selves, on our own merits. We cannot do that. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So the idea here is that to be conformed to the image of His Son. Ephesians 2.10, as you can see, this is our theme verse for the week as far as throughout all the camps. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So I want you to understand this before we keep moving forward, is that the works is not the way in which salvation comes by, but it is an exemplary action in which you can honor the Lord and display your faith and salvation to others. What does that mean? Well, it says we are His workmanship. So continue, I, I like to think of the fact that He's continuing to mold and shape, pressing, we are to be receptive of that, to be obedient towards the end. But this has happened beforehand. He's prepared it, but to walk in them. So it's not in the absence of, of works, but it's that they are a part of how we are to live. So it's not in a sense that our whole life is based off of that. Now I just want to be careful with that because coming from somebody who works with a college or career student so what? this is one in which... Uh, this is a spot in which a lot of students really wrestle with. I went to UNC Chapel Hill, Ciesco Hills, and when I went to UNC, there is a professor there who is, I know I see some state fans, so I'll, I'll pray for you all at the end, all right? So um, there's a professor there who likes to uh, share, he's a New Testament professor, and uh, sadly, uh, he's not a believer, uh, and so I know that's an oxymoron, but it, it happens in UNC Chapel Hill. Um, and his whole goal and agenda is to basically thwart people off the path. And so basically, he, he does it many different ways. One of the ways he hits on is this idea of works. And I think he does it because he knows that that's a weak spot for people. So whether you confess with your mouth that uh, Jesus is Lord, and whether you confess the fact that it's all about him, what does your life, what does my life match with that? It's only by grace. Ephesians is filled with grace. So the only way you and I can do anything is through His grace. And that, that is wonderful. We walked into the fact of, and I'm going to have to go quickly because uh, I'm, you know, time's flying. But you get to the fact of verse 5, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of differences that are here as far as uh, how this is interpreted. So you see the two words right before it, in love. Okay, so people, uh, scholars have disagreed uh, where this lies. Does it lie in verse 4? Does it go with verse 5? Okay, within the context, it seems as if that it would go with verse 4. So that you would be holy and blameless before him in love. That you would be holy and blameless before him in love. And so I love the idea I cherish that in the sense that in love we can be holy and blameless before Him. That He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. As you continue reading about, we have redemption, we have forgiveness, 
But you notice that a lot of this says according to or in. Do not dismiss those words. Those words are there to point you to really what this is all about. So notice that I said at the, main, the beginning that Jesus fulfills the purposes of God. That that's the main idea. The reason why I say that is because you can get lost in Ephesians 1 and turn it back and say, man, I'm, I'm good. This is, a, this is about the believer. No, this is about Jesus. This is about who he is, what he has fulfilled. Adoption. So when I think of adoption, this is maybe a, a good or sad. It's probably more sad than good in some ways. But I think of those, um, those commercials uh, where you have the precious little puppies uh, and it's, all you hear is in the arms of an angel, Right? Sometimes they have children, you know, whichever commercial. Um, and so they're, they're asking for, you know, money uh, to get help. There's, you know, sad situations going on. I don't know why I turned to that because most of them really aren't about adoption. But I just, it kind of carries me to think about adoption. But, like, let's say I was going to, like, walk in, you know, to, let's say, um, the local animal shelter. And I'm going to go and I'm going to adopt a nice puppy, right? So... Um, the interesting thing about that is if I walked in, uh, knowing me, I'd probably have some, it's like no chihuahuas, you know, I'd, not for me. Um, no, I'm just kind of kidding. Um, no cats for sure. That's, they're out of the question. Um, I don't know if they're a part of this passage anyway. They're not, they, they, they're not, I think one pastor this week said they're not going to heaven. That's true. Um, but the point is that I would be pretty picky. Like I would know what I'd like. I'd walk in, and out of every single animal that's there, I'm probably going to go home with one unless my heart gets softened and it kind of evolves, right? But I just like the idea and the, the image of the fact that, I will, like, you walk in, you choose. This is the one. Now, it ain't a perfect puppy. If we change it to a kid, it's not a perfect child. And a matter of fact, they were not birthrighted, so to speak. If as a child, they're not birthrighted into your family, but they're given all the rights and privileges of that family. So notice that. They're not birthed into that family, but at that moment of adoption, they're given all the rights and privileges, so to speak, all the unity, all the love, all the, the bringing together of the family, they're, they're giving and granted all of that in adoption. You have a gracious and loving Father who in the midst of your rejection of Him, who in the midst of your uh, despising of Him, in the midst of your turning away from Him, loved you so much that He consistently and fervently and wonderfully revealed to you who He is. He's unfolded this whole plan that has been since before the foundation of the world. He knew your name before the foundation of the world. He knew how many hairs were on your head. Foundation of the world. I mean, he knew everything about you. He knows you better than yourself, and he does that. And he, and to me, when I think of that, I'm just so despicable. I echo the fact that I'm the chief of sinners in this room, and the fact that a holy and righteous God would love me and adopt me into His family. I just, I marvel at that God. You're not going to find that anywhere else. You're going to find that in Christ. And so with that, I'm going to kind of skim back through to get back to for this reason. But that's why in Him we have obtained inheritance. Be having been protested according to the purpose of Him who works all things 
to the counsel of his will. So that we who first to hope might be to the praise of his glory. So that us who we are would be to the praise of his glory. But I want you to remind you of this before we dive into three points to close, uh, to work through and then close. I want to remind you of something that's amazing. And I tell our college and career group all the time this, is if you look down at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So, I'm just going to be honest with you. This is like a good moment for me to say that one of my weakest spots at times in my faith is the reliance and trusting of the Holy Spirit. And I do not stand here boasting in that. I stand here because it's, it's something that I, I'm wanting to take serious even more so. Because the Holy Spirit here is one in which He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So this gifting of the Holy Spirit is one in which until we acquire possession of it, which is until we are with Him, until we acquire that, the Holy Spirit is that sealed promise that has been promised throughout Scripture, who has been promised to us. But that Spirit has the power to raise dead to life. So I just want you to imagine that, right? If we had somebody who, was, who had passed away and they were in here physically, and all of a sudden in the middle of the service, they just got up, got out. First of all, I think we'd all probably like look and wonder, and then depending if you're like me, I'd probably go out those doors right there and would run. But in the same token, I would just marvel. I'd be like, "What is transpiring?" And so, like, who? Ha- I'd honestly ask the question: Who has that power? It's not because of you, but you do right now. And it's not you that has the power; it's the Spirit. But the Spirit's inside of you. Do you trust the Spirit? Matter of fact, Scripture says that greater things will be done through you. When Jesus was ascending, and they're asking like, whoa. Like, we understand, we've, we've, we went through all this. We've walked with you. Like, we understand that you're going to do all this. We've kind of culminated to this fact that you've resurrected, that you were with us. Okay, we're, we're, you know, spend some time with us. And he's like, no. He's going to the Father, be at the right hand, which we've read. But he says, greater things will be done through you. And how is that going to be done? Not because of your works and not because of who you are, because I'm going to seal you with the Holy Spirit. And through, so through that, through the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, greater things will be done. So instead of one Jesus right here physically and having to move and interact and shift and all those things, now you have the Spirit who is among believers. So people of Grange, people of High Point, people of Jamaica, people of Myanmar, people of all across the world had this spirit inside of them, has a power. And so we are to trust in that spirit. And so I say all this because for us, it says for this reason. And here's what you're going to do, because this is, a, this is a, what a lot of people do when they read this passage in this scripture. It says for this reason... And they turn and say, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
Okay, so if you just read that, you're going to read it and say, for this reason, and you're going to point that this reason is because, I'm kind of thinking through the letter, because that he's heard of their faith in the word of Jesus and their love toward all the saints. In reality, this is kind of a bad way of kind of explaining it, but it'd be like saying, because of this reason, which is everything we've already read, so everything the word has provided, who he is, how he's faithful, how he's just, how he has predestined us, how he has chosen us, how he's adopted us, how he sows us with the Spirit. For this reason, and then he'll turn and say, because of this. So because of what I've heard, so for this reason, so the reason really is Jesus, because of all I've heard about you, now this. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's kind of how this is working. So the reason is not you, is not the people of Ephesus. For this reason is looking to Christ and what he has done. Then turning and saying, because I have heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus, in your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give, to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. I think that's helpful for us because, and that's why the message is entitled, For This Reason, is because it is for this reason. It is for this reason in which everything unfolds. It is for this reason that you and I live. It is for this reason that we are to share the gospel and go so with fervence, tenacity, passion, love. So for those of you who just went on your mission trip, you saw this firsthand overseas. This idea of being sent and going. Why? For the sake of the gospel. But do not dismiss the fact that just because a group went to another country does not mean that there is anything less than here. Matter of fact, you and I who are here, Community Baptist is sent to reach LaGrange. When you leave these doors, you are sent. You are sent as one who is chosen and precious, one who God loves and has given you his spirit so that he may be glorified among this city. For us, it's high point. But what I'm getting at with all of that is that it's for this reason. We're going to read in Ephesians 2 this week. It's going to remind us of who we were in Christ, or who we were before Christ, who we are in Christ. You're going to read Ephesians 3 and 4, looking more at the unity of the faith, looking more at the bringing together. You're going to look at Ephesians 5, looking about walking, looking about being imitators, looking at how we live that out in Ephesians 6, which is going to look at the armor how we defend. All that's to say is that it's for this reason. So three things, and then we'll close. The first is that the encouragement. Verses 15 through 17. Right, so that we see here that Paul is moving towards a moment of prayer. And we see here as well that the purpose of this is to lead to praise, and in that, it leads to where they are concerned and cared for others. So they have faith. They love the saints. Therefore, he does not cease to give thanks for them, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. So I'm mindful of the fact of a good way to think of this is, so I have a few mentors in my life. I have four. Uh, one of them is sitting in here, 
And so uh, the idea here is that they would basically pour out into you, right? And you could kind of do basically both at the same time. Um, but I think of this. I think of when I think of, so it's Jeremy Sams, right? And so there's a few others. When I think of them, okay, one of the things that are in mind are that they are encouraging in certain ways. So when I watch them live out their faith, so I'll, I'll give you the example of Jeremy Sams. He loves his wife and family to the glory of God. I mean, at the way Christ loves the church, I feel like I've daily watched him model that. So somebody who's dating somebody looking towards marriage, like that is a beautiful thing to see physically right in front of me. It's an encouragement. Why? Because he is displaying Christ in the way that he is loving his family. That's what we see here. We see the fact that these people, Paul is saying, your, your faith has led you towards these things, but one of the markers, he says, is they have loved the saints. But remember, I told you like we're pretty big on words. What does it say? It says love toward all the saints. All the saints. So let me ask you this question. Don't answer out loud. Do you love the saints well? Do we love people well? In so doing that, we love them despite the fact that their sin, despite their inadequacies, despite their differences? Are we united together? Because you see, as we're going to see, it's the body of Christ that goes together. And so in so doing, it's going to require love toward one another and all. If when you get to know our team a little bit more this week, you're going to notice some things. We are unique. We are different. When I've gotten to know a little from some of you, right, I played flag football with people who are much better than me at flag football, right? I've, I've got to know a little bit of, of different people in that game. I got to know you when we were here last. Some of you, are, you're just unique. You're different. But there is no partiality in this love. How do we know that? Because of who love is. It's God and how he is loved with no partiality. How, how has he poured out his love? On the cross. How has he done so? Lavishly. And so in that, our response, and, and that's why I asked you a question, that's why I wanted you to sit and think for a moment, do you love well? And I really want to ask the question in a little deeper way, is your love through Christ? In so doing, does that lead us to obedience and worship? Because Paul is here, and I, this is what I've, I'm trying to be mindful of, especially ministering at our church in, in Oakview, is that is Oakview a place in which somebody could write a letter and say, I am encouraged by your faithfulness. I am encouraged by the fact that you love one another well. See, we mark these things as simple Christian terms, right? Simple Christian lingo. Right, if you ask somebody, what's a Christian supposed to look like? You say, oh, they're supposed to love. They're supposed to have compassion. They're supposed to serve. They're supposed... Yada, yada. Yeah, it's easy just to lip service that out. I'm talking about the day-to-day in the trenches. What does that look like? 
I'm talking about in the day-to-day, when somebody rubs you the wrong way, what does love look like for you? I'm talking about when difficulty comes your way, what reason are you going to hold on to? Is it for this reason, this gospel, what, who Jesus is, what he's done? Because if that's the case, then that hope leads us towards loving people well and honoring the gospel. So the encouragement. He's writing here and saying, hey, this encouragement is transpiring. We notice here that it's to the Father of glory, and he's the one who grants wisdom in Revelation. Psalm would say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fearing of reverence, of obedience. So this knowledge leads us to a response. And so the second point we have is the empowerment. If you look in verses 18 to 19 with me, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Now, this is a little silly example right? But um, I'm dating Kayla, who is on the front row. And so as we have dated for almost two years, here's what I want to kind of like expound upon, right? So you can kind of think back. When I was in middle school, uh, we were not dating, but when I was in middle school, right, and you liked somebody, um, you know, you try to find ways to, in in like elementary school, it was like the candy grams of Valentine's Day. You know, you try to get them one. You know, middle school, it, it kind of evolves, right? I just remember like trying to go out of my way to do all sorts of things uh, for different people. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you though, like as silly as all that sounds, and you you remember it. You probably don't want to tell all your stories out loud either, because I don't want to tell all mine. Because the embarrassment of all those candy grams that I bought one year is just bad, you know. But like when I met her, and I started to learn what it looked like to love her and to see her for who she is in Christ. And to really understand all that, I would almost say that from an earthly perspective, my heart was being enlightened to see her for who she really is. In so doing, that my love for her is not circumstantial. In so doing, that my serving of her is not dictated on how well she's serving me. In so doing, that I would be slow to anger. The way I would display the fruit of the Spirit. Why do I say all that? Because if your heart's enlightened, it means that it's vibrant. It's filled with something to then overflow. And so with that, that's an earthly example of pointing towards this idea of the fact that He has enlightened us. The eyes of our hearts, the, the seeing. So our hearts, if you think about that, they're really what's going to overflow and what we see from. We may know what the hope, what is the hope to which he has called you. So this empowerment, you'll see the three things are focused: hope, riches, and immeasurable greatness. So knowing the hope, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the measurable greatness of his power, all three come from God. Nothing of us. The same power 
that is given to us is the one that was accomplished in Christ, both in raising from the dead and the ascension, which is what we've seen here transpiring already. Why does any of this matter? That's what I'd actually like to ask you as I ask myself this studying. Why does any of this matter? Instead of the encouragement, now the empowerment. Why does that matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Seeing Christ will then move us towards the way in which we're to live. So if our hearts are enlightened, we respond in obedience and worship through Him, through His power, through His strength, through His will, through His way, then you can look like this as Paul urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called, with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So let me ask you this question. Can LaGrange and Oakview, um, can we write our names there? So our church names, can we write our individual names? The empowerment is through Him, and so through that, we understand. So only through Him do we understand. So, I just want to remind you of the fact that the hope to which you have been called. The hope to which you have been called. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this, right? Let me ask you this question. If you had, you've heard this before, people say this all the time. Um, they use this like in sharing, right? If you had the cure for cancer, what would you do with it? I would hope you wouldn't withhold it. If you withhold it, or if you withheld it, and I had a family member that could use it, it'd be pretty sad. I'd probably have mixed emotions about that. It would be a daily thing of just utilizing what that gifting would be of knowing that to how to leverage that to help other people. In so doing, you and I need to be reminded daily of the hope which we have been called. I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of people who claim Jesus but could not stand right here and share the gospel. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you one thing that I noticed with that is that they're not reminded of the gospel daily. They're not reminded of what it looks like to be a sinner in need of a Savior, that your truest and deepest longest need is Christ and what it has done, how Genesis and Revelation and how, all the, how this one narrative and it connects everything together. Just our, I mean, what I'm saying is that you and I, that's why he keeps reminding us, he keeps appointing according to, in Christ, He's pointing us back to who's the one who's empowering, who's the one who's providing. And it's, it almost seems like, hey, we get it at this point. It's kind of almost insufferable. Like, we get it. It's Jesus. But in reality, what he's saying is, no, no, you don't get it. See it. Why? Because I told you while ago I'm the chief of sinners. I guarantee you I will sin today. That is not a boastful thing. That is not a joyous thing. That is not something that I take any sort of pride in. But it is one in which I am reminded of the grace that has overflowed through Christ. 
has poured out lavishly. So we see the empowerment. Third way, and we're going to close here, is the exaltation. Exaltation. You see here in verse 20 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. So we see a couple of things here. Savior, right? We see who he is. He is Savior. It's not explicitly saying that, but we see who he is. We know that he is Lord because of what is taking place here. I want to point us to the fact that don't dismiss that it says seated him at his right hand. Where pleasures are forevermore. The nations as an inheritance. You can read throughout all the Old Testament and you will see a lot of the right hand, the right hand, the hand that saves. So he seats him here. Why? Because he, raised, he was raised from the dead. He's seated here. Why? Because he's a far above all rule and authority and everything that's continuing in this passage. Far above, uperano in the Greek. Marker of superior status. Matter of fact, it says that it's even so strong that it's an additional factor of degree. It's like, whatever you're thinking of, just think you can't think of the next one because that's what it really is. So like you, when you and I think of this, right? So um, I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. Okay, so, uh, you know, Ronald Cunha Jr., I know you don't, probably don't know who he is. I know Nate knows who he is. Um, you know, that name means something to a Braves fan. Right? just means something. Okay? Let's take a step further. Our president, President Donald Trump, his name means something. He has an office. Right? We know who he is. Okay? You keep going through different, different levels, right? For the United States, he has the highest name. Globally, you comment the leaders. And then you think of, okay, let's think of a name above that. What this is saying in the Greek is you need to probably not think of that because it's far exceeding what you're thinking of. It's an additional level degree. That's how great he is. That's how awesome he is. That's how far above all dominion, all power, all rule, all authority that he is. So Psalm 8, 6 is fulfilled. Hebrews 2, 5 through 10 is an example of this. Basically what this is mindful of is the lordship of Christ. He is exalted. Everything is under his feet. And he's head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, as we close here, I want to kind of have a couple of minutes of application of us thinking through this. The last verse is very helpful in this as well. He says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Who's the body? body, the church, the fullness of him 
Where? In the church, but at where? In the sense of that he fills all in all. I'm reminded of, we were reading through the book of John in our college and career group, and I'm reminded of, I mention this every, almost every single week, because I still marvel at it, this idea of where Jesus, right, woman at Samaria, goes to the well, he's thirsty, he's hungry, he's tired, he's worn down, right, and so he asks her, he says, woman, give me this drink, and so she questions him. Uh, the disciples, mean, meanwhile, are aware, they're headed out into town to get food, bring it back. When they get back, they're, like, they're kind of like taken aback, and they're like, whoa, Samaritan woman, like, what's going on? But they don't question him. But then right after that, they're like, hey, eat. Like, I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing, like, you need to eat, right? You're, we know you're hungry. And what does he say? His purpose is, in his fullness, is in God, in the will of God, and accomplishing that. So that's my question as we, as we close. What is your fullness? As a believer, if this is true, if the fullness comes from Him, and He fills us, then is that overflowing for you? Is that one in which it's overflowing out of a heart that longs for Christ in so doing that you and I are displaying in worship with our lives to the one who deserves all glory and praise. I would love to come back here flag football time again. First of all, get better at football. And then also to hear, and I've, I mean, we've already been hearing it, but I'd want to continue hearing about how God, in His sovereignty and His faithfulness, is continuing to work in the life of Community Baptist. And so doing that, we could hear of how you're sharing the gospel in the community. We could hear of the way in which you are sharing in your workplaces, in your schools. You are important. You are important. You have a purpose. Notice that he says he chose you before the foundation of the world. So imagine this whole world, before all of it, he chose you. I would take that as, I'm in awe of that, and I need to worship you daily. Because I don't deserve any of it. Next question is, how are you loving your brothers and sisters in the faith? How are you caring for those in need? How are you sharing the gospel? How are you displaying Christ? For this reason, we would move. All that's taken place here, the one who's provided his blessings, the one he's predestined us for adoption, the one who's given us his purpose and will, the one who is redeeming us, the one who is lavished upon us, the one who gives us inheritance, and we can continue to go through and through. How are we responding to that? As a minister, I ask myself this question really often because what we can do is we can seclude ourselves in the church and not get into the world. 
And in so doing, I have to challenge myself a lot to get out and to share, to love, and display to this lost and hopeless and dark world the light, the true light, the good shepherd, the one who is the author of life, the giver of salvation. If you're an unbeliever in this room, I am thankful that you are here. If you're wrestling with the faith, I am thankful that you are here. You have heard the word of the Lord. The Spirit has been at work. And my question to you, and even to all of us in general, is really who do you worship? So we all worship something. We all long for something. It was baseball for me for years. I traveled across the country. I won plenty of trophies. I won a national championship. Played in the World Series. A lot of things happen, and it's meaningless. Meaningless. And so we do that. We build up these idols. And the question I have for us is who are we worshiping? So for believers, we need to have a heart check as far as those things. But as a non-believer, I just encourage you to look to Jesus. He has so graciously and lovingly given his life for you. Not for your own merit, because you and I sin. We do sin. We make, we, we make mistakes. We sin against a holy and righteous God. And in so doing, we need some way to atone for those sins. And that way is Jesus. And he has came with the perfect life, died on the cross, for our sins, endured a brutal death, loved people, and then as people were rejoicing over the fact that he had passed away, and as it seemed grave, he rose. He rose. And so I invite you, if you're still struggling, if you have any questions, come talk to Pastor Varner. You can talk to me. If you, I, at this moment, I'm going to ask the team to come up and lead uh, through the last song for Be Thou My Vision. I want you to think through that as we sing this. I just really want you to challenge yourself that that would be your vision. It would be Him, His purposes for His kingdom and for His glory, His gospel. And so however the Lord's dealing with your heart, I pray that you would respond. If you need to come up here and pray, I invite you to do so. If you just want to spend some time in prayer where you're at, that's fine. However the Lord's leading, you uh, respond in obedience. Let's pray. O oh God, ruler of all, name above every name, the one who holds the world in your hands, the one who is sovereign and just, the one who is love, who is holy. God, I pray that you would be our vision. Lord, that the things of your word and the things above your spirit would guide us, move us into the way in which the winds that we view life from would be you way in which we would worship you, we would glorify you. In all ways and all avenues. God, I pray for the people that are in this room. 
include myself, God, that we would respond in the ways that you have led us, Lord. Lord, I pray for those who believe, God, that we would, uh, Lord, look more like you, Jesus, one who showed no partiality to the people that you were around, but one who showed love, compassion. The one who poured out your life for those whom despise and reject you. And so, God, as you have so graciously chosen, may we respond in worship. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling in this room, God. I pray that they would just pour that out to you, Lord, knowing that you are there to hear them. And Lord, you walk with them through all things. God, I pray if there's any person who's struggling with the faith, who is wrestling with it, who maybe this might be the first time they've heard the gospel, whatever it may be, God, we are thankful They are here, and God, I just pray for them. Pray they would see your gospel. And Lord, I pray that we would love them and all people well to the displaying of that goodness and grace. So God, may this time honor you, and may we bring you praise. In Jesus' name we pray.